you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. It's the last chapter in the last book that we have in Scripture. And the book of Revelation lays out for its reader the works of God in our world. Specifically, the book, as the title suggests, is the revelation of Jesus in the affairs of man. And through its pages, the reader is promised to be blessed. And I trust that that promise will be fulfilled in our time this evening as we are once again in Revelation chapter 22. Let us make man in our image. These words were spoken by God at the beginning of time. And when he said these words, it set man apart from the whole of creation. Humans were to be different than the trees, than the animals, the fish. People, people were to be made in the image of God. And since we are made in the image of God, then we carry not only deity's value, but it goes deeper than that. We carry deity's very nature within us. See, that word image means essence. And when we show love to one another, we are reflecting that image. When we are merciful or when we are gracious, when we pursue justice, we reflect our creator's nature. Now, this is a weighty thing, for there is no other creation that carries the attributes of our creator. A fish does not love. A tree cannot be merciful. A leopard is not considered just. These things were and are uniquely, these attributes are uniquely divine, and they were communicated to us as humans. And can I say, life was great at the beginning. We know what happened, right? It was very good, but then sin entered into the world, and everything changed. Although we still maintain the attributes of our creator, things like love, we can show love, and mercy, we can be merciful, and justice, we desire justice, and patience, what happened is they all got horribly marred when sin entered into the world. They were still there, but we couldn't manifest them like we did before. What does that mean? That means that people struggle with things like injustice. People struggle with showing mercy. People struggle showing love. Mankind was and is broken. Why? Because of sin. And in this dire situation, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says that, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When we were at our worst, God was at his best. And he sent his only begotten Son for us. That means that Jesus changed everything. He took our sin upon him, securing our forgiveness. He covered our sin with his righteousness. He gave us a new heart. He restored our fellowship with God and also with each other. And in relation to sin, he finally and fully broke the power of sin upon us. 
He removed the penalty of sin. These are great realities that demand our worship and our adoration. And we'll do that here in a little bit at the Lord's table. But as you know, as we wait for that adoption of sons that is mentioned in in Galatians, there is still one aspect of sin that we encounter, and that is the presence of sin. Sin is still around us. And though we have been given a new heart, for those of us who have accepted Christ, we are new creatures, there are still those around us who have not accepted Christ, and they are still in their trespasses and sins. They are dead in those trespasses and sins. Not all have experienced the transformation. And we still see, see sin and its effects all around us. In fact, we have seen the effects of sin even this week in the headlines, the news reports. We still see sin. It still rears its ugly head. And how do we respond to that? How should we respond when we see wars and rumors of wars? When we see injustice and death and abuse all around us, we see people taking advantage of others. Well, I think Revelation chapter 22 can be a help here. See, we need to be reminded of some truths. In our text this evening, we get instruction for how to navigate this life as we await that final work of Jesus where he removes even the presence of sin in this world. And in the meantime, we have to understand that because Jesus is coming and his coming is imminent, then we must live our life in a biblical way. So when we see the headlines and we see the injustice and we see the wrong and we see the pain and we see all of the difficulties of this life, how should we respond? Well, first off, there's something that we need to know. Something that we need to remind ourselves of. Something that we need to think about. We are to think biblically. We are to have God's perspective on our situations, on our world. And what is God's situation? What are God's uh, mind on the situation? Often it's easy to be thrown off by what we see, but how should we navigate these things? First off, we should know some stuff. You see... We pick up in our our text for the evening in verse 10 of Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 10 says, And he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. We need to first see, and we need to first understand, and we need to think biblically by knowing something. Specifically, we should know the word of God. You see, verse 10, it says, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Don't seal these things up, is basically what the angel is telling John. We get to the end of the book and he has laid out what God will be doing in creation and in this world. And the book of Revelation from its very beginning to its very end is, like I said, a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
How does he work in the affairs of man? And how does he navigate and how does he respond to some of the, the terrible sins that are present in the world? And when we get to the end, this angel who is talking to John at the end, he says, first off, don't seal up the sayings of the prophecy of this book. When we see sin around us and we see great turmoil, we must know God's word. We must think God's word. We must dwell on God's word. We must meditate on God's word. This is interesting when he says to don't seal up the, the sayings of the prophecy. This is in contrast to the command in Daniel. In Daniel, when God gave a glimpse of the future, then he came to Daniel and he said, I want you to seal it up because these things are not to happen yet. In one sense, God says, you can't handle this, and so we're going to seal it up. But this is different. John comes and, or the angel comes to John and says, don't seal it up. Make it known. So know the word of God. Do a study of the word of God. Know what this specifically, what these things mean and what they say. Don't seal up the word. We are to know what will happen. Can I say we're getting close? Now is the time to know. Before it wasn't time, but now it is time. Why? Because these things are at hand. The time is at hand. We have all of God's revelation to us. So let's read it. Let's know it. Let's understand it. Let's apply it to our lives. So when we see great turmoil, we must know God's word. But when we see great turmoil around us, we must also know and have a biblical perspective of sin and evil. And this is when it gets challenging. We need to understand, you look at verse 11, says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. We must have a biblical perspective of sin, and we need to see that injustice will still happen. Jesus, when he walked on the earth, he said that the poor you will always have with you there still will be the presence of sin in our world. He says again, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. I don't know about you, but does that rub you the wrong way? It does me. And one of the things that I have uh, um, inherited from my, my mom's side of the family is that I have a strong sense of social justice. And when something goes wrong, it bugs me when things aren't made right. And I, there have been times even with my wife where I will go to her and I will say, this just isn't right. It can't keep going like this. We've got to fix it. And what we have to understand is biblically right now, the, the injustice will continue. The poor you will always have with you the injustice will happen. Now, with that in mind, do we dismiss it? No. This doesn't and never dismisses the wrong. This never makes the abuse okay. And God is never okay with unrighteousness. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity, as Habakkuk says. So God is keeping score, and we'll talk about that here in a second, but un, uh, injustices will happen. 
He continues on, he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. Unrighteousness. He's gonna, he says, let him be filthy still. This may be incredibly hard to live with. You know, you think about it, you observe the wrong, and you even condemn the wrong rightfully, but it still happens. I want us to think about this. In history, when Christianity has been at its best, there were still wars, there were still evil men who sought to subvert, destroy, and wreak havoc in our world, and sometimes they were successful. And our inner sense of justice might fight this. We may even think we can stem the tide. But we can't. Why? Because we are mired in sin, just like they are. We have the same sinful heart. Even those transformed by Christ, we still struggle with our old flesh, right? This is a hard reality of sin. Sin is... It gets into everything. Can I put it that way? I enjoy working in the garage. And one of the things that happens often is my hands get filthy. I come in, and typically I'm brought in for dinner or maybe getting the kids ready for bed. And when I walk in and my hands are covered in grease, there's really not any place that there's not grease. What my children, their reaction is telling when I walk in, I say, hi, and they're like, ew, get away from me. Don't touch me. You're disgusting, Dad. Uh, why? Because I'm filthy. I'm covered in sin. And we rightfully re recoil from that filthiness and that injustice. If we have a new heart, it doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't, whereas before we used to indulge it, we loved it. Now it's not right. Now it bothers us. And rightfully so. But we have here laid out very clearly, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. This is a hard reality of sin and sin's presence around us. For right now, we will have to navigate sin. But does that mean that we as God's children do nothing? No. No, because the verse continues on. Yes, he that is unjust, let him be unjust, and he that is filthy, let him be filthy. But it continues, and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. What we find here is though injustice will happen, we as believers must live in contrast to that sin around us. What does that mean? That means that we should do what is right. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. Dr. Bob Sr., uh, Dr. Bob Jones Sr., evangelist, he used to say, do right until the stars fall. Just do right. Do what is right. That means at home, do what is right. That means at work, do what is right. At church here, do what is right. We are called to live in contrast to the world. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He continues and says, be different. Be set apart from sin to God. He that is holy, let him be holy still. If someone were to ask you or to talk to you, <clears throat> would they be able to 
look at your life and say, he's different. <clears throat> There's something about him. I need to know what that is. See, in the face of sin and in the face of injustice, we as believers have a special privilege, a special responsibility to be righteous and to be holy in the face of all of that. That means we use our mouth, that we, means we use our lives to preach righteousness and holiness. Let our differences be on full display. Keep your testimony. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, you have a testimony of how Jesus brought you to himself. We all come the same way. We all come through the blood of Christ. But each of us has a story of the circumstances of how God brought us to him. So live that testimony and tell others. Keep your testimony pure. As we heard this morning, walk worthy of the Lord. Serve the Lord even if you are hated for it. Even if you are persecuted. Even if you suffer. The passage is clear. Evil will be present until Jesus comes to rule and to reign. No other leader will be able to fend off evil. Not a Democrat, not a Republican, not even Antichrist himself. He's going to come and he's going to try to set himself up as one who can rule. No one will be able to stem the tide of sin. But that should never deter us or send us into a depression or a defeatist attitude. Not at all. We must instead have an impact in our spheres of influence. And we are to do that with joy and with faithfulness. Again, I think of the Ukrainian Christians right now. A great opportunity in the midst of turmoil in their country. To stand and to be different and to preach the gospel. And so we have verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he would, that which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. We need to know these things. We need to understand these things. But you might say, how can I live with joy and faithfulness when I see all of the hurt and the pain around us? When it seems like they get away with everything. They can maneuver and no one seems to catch them. They can lie and no one calls them out for it. How can we be okay with that? And how can we navigate? Well, there's something to know in this passage. And there's now something to trust in in this passage. So number two, we must trust. And what are we trusting in? We're trusting in Christ's justice. Why is it okay for us to allow the evil, well, not allow the evil, but to observe the evil around us? It's because of who's coming soon. You see verse 12. In my Bible, it's red. That means that Christ is speaking here. And Christ says, and behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We must trust in our Savior. We've trusted him for our salvation. Can we trust him for our life, for our living, for how we look at life? 
we need to understand that Christ first is keeping score of it all. Behold, I come quickly. It won't be long now. And whether God takes us home through death or whether he comes back in his glorious return, Christ is coming. He will come back. And the interesting thing is his reward is with him to give every man according as his work shall be. Can I say, how can I see sin and evil around me? And how can I navigate it? Well, I would say, at least in my mind and in my heart, it makes it all right knowing that God and Jesus will come and set everything right. I can let him do that. Jesus will settle it out. And Jesus will bring the reward for every man according to his work. Now, this can be a comfort, right? If we've gone through great difficulty and we've been abused by others, we can sit back and say, it's all right. Christ is keeping score. He will make it all even. This is a great comfort. But can I say it's also a great warning for if we are going to subvert and we are going to maneuver and we are going to be the one who is the abuser, we need to remember that there is one coming that we will stand before and we will give an account. His reward is with him to give him every man according as his work shall be. Jesus will settle everything. Relinquish it all to the perfect judge who will never be bribed, or his, in, his justice never be adulterated by sin. He will never get it wrong. He always gets it right. And even people who try to deceive and try to cover, he will be able to uncover and he will make it all known. And he will make it right. So Christ is keeping score. Again, it doesn't ever minimize the right or the wrong that is happening. Christ is keeping score of it all, and he will make it right in the end. Why is he able to do that? What is so special about Jesus? Well, because of who he is. He is more than sufficient to judge. Why? Because verse 13. Verse 13 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was there. Colossians chapter 1, all things were made by him and for him. And everything that was made, he made it. He created it. So if he created it and he gets to oversee it, then he gets to be the judge. And he says very clearly right here, I am the Alpha and Omega. Alpha being the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega being the end. He is the word. The word that was at the foundation of the world. He's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. Do we believe that Jesus can execute justice perfectly? Oh, I know that sometimes it appears that Jesus and God are slow to act. That he has turned his back on justice, that justice is slow or in some way weak. But what we view as indifference and sluggishness, can I 
submit to you that it's actually God's mercy. It is time. It is time that is given so that others may repent. And I think in that time while we're watching all of this happen, we have to make sure that we don't make the mistake of thinking that Jesus doesn't care or that he is forgotten. Jesus will judge in pure righteousness. And when we see the injustice all around us, we must remind ourselves of who our Jesus is. Do a study of who our Savior is. He is the Lamb that was slain, but also he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And we know that he is not, as the Chronicles of Narnia says often, he is not a tame lion. He will judge. And we can know this. And we can trust in this reality. We can put our head on the pillow, no matter what happens in our day, and know that Christ is keeping score. And he has every right to keep score. And he will keep score perfectly. Because he is the beginning and the end. The first and the last. And so with that in mind, after we know these things and after we trust and we preach these truths to our hearts, now how should we order our life? What is our reaction to these truths? Because we have something to know, we have something to trust in, and now we have something to do. Verse 14. After he makes this declaration in verses 12 and 13, now verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they might have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. We start first with two groups of people, the first being the saved. And he says, we are to obey. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Jesus Christ. We are to obey. If you sit here today and you are blood-bought child of God, then we are to obey. We are to do his commandments. The reward is coming. We will have the right to the tree of life. Now, this is not salvation by works. I need to make that clear. This is works done because of salvation. This is the perseverance of the saints. This is holding fast to our confession. This is walking worthy of our calling. This is living in obedience to our Savior. And so if we are saved and we see the sin around us, what must we do? We must obey. We must obey our Savior. We must be those peculiar people. We must live for him and his kingdom. And we must be in contrast to the world. We preach with our lives. We preach with our mouths. We are to do his commandments. Now what about the unsaved? Because we come to verse 15. Verse 15, you are called to be, or to the word, verse 14, you are without. And this is an interesting thought. If you are here and you are unsaved, you are outside, outside the blessings of eternity with Christ. You are outside the new heaven and the new earth as Christ makes all things new. You are outside of that. He says he lists off dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. 
the unsaved are without. And so what should the unsaved do in this situation? The unsaved should bow to the lamb voluntarily. Give up. Give up your sin. Give up your flesh. When you have a chance, while you have a chance, plead for salvation. Plead for mercy to Jesus. Why? Because he's coming soon. He's coming. Verse 20 says, He, that tes- he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. And then the reaction of those who know Christ, even so come, Lord Jesus. So to wrap this up, I'm going to, take a, uh, I'm going to break a rule of homiletics or sermon preparation, and I want you to turn over to Revelation chapter 5. So spin over to Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to bring in a new passage in the conclusion of my sermon. Again, this is not, uh, don't tell my homiletics teacher I'm doing this. But uh, we're going to read Revelation chapter 5. And I'm going to go and I'm going to try to be as uh, interesting as I can. But I want us to just listen and look at what happens in heaven. This is in heaven. And there is a setting. And we're going to see... This is a narrative of heaven. We're going to see what takes place. So Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loosen, loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us kings, made, made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts of the el- and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. 
And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Can I say, this is our Jesus. This is our sacrifice. This is the judge of all the earth. He is worthy. He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our suffering. He's worthy of our very lives. This Jesus will come in victory. This Jesus will make all things new. So what are we to do? If we are unsaved, call upon Jesus for salvation. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is your only hope. Do it now before it's too late. If we are saved, then we must live for him. We must serve him. We must worship him. We must sacrifice for him. He must be our greatest priority. I trust we'll be able to implement those things the next time we see a headline that shakes us a little bit. Things we should know, things we should trust in, and things we should do. Would you bow together in prayer with me, please? Oh, Father, we are so thankful for our Savior. We are thankful for our Jesus. And Lord, because he has died for our sins, and because he has transformed us, he is ours. And we are so thankful that we get to be to be translated from rebels before you and to be adopted as your children. Lord, as we look at our world, we see great turmoil and we see great suffering. And Lord, it bothers us. Lord, would you help us the next time that happens to come to passages like this that talk about the majesty of our Savior. And Lord, would you help us to remind us, or remind us of these truths. And then Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to live in contrast, using our words, using our lives. For Lord, he is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.